0: We're gonna be in the water whether we like it or not. And no one knows we're down here, right? Does anyone have service? Only a short swim. Welcome to episode 34 of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine and I am here to discuss the horrors of the world, be it fictional or real. This week we are going fictional, but having said that, it could be very much real, and that is Blackwater Abyss. So, this cave. This thing is unexplored. sharp. shaft goes way down. Ready? See you at the bottom. What do you reckon? Let's check it out. what I tell you? This is incredible, huh? Hey. What the hell is that? <laughs> the case filling up. The river must have burst its banks. We're gonna be in the water whether we like it or not. And no one knows we're down here, right? Does anyone have service? Only a short swim. Victor! 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 We gotta swim out of here. Did you miss something? You cannot get in that What way. choice do I have? Croxy territorial. He's not gonna be happy till we're all gone. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't splash. Do not move a muscle. This film was one I'd never actually seen before and I chose it quite randomly. I just looked at some streaming services and for some reason I just landed on it. It serves as a sequel to the 2007 film Blackwater, which I haven't actually seen. And I know I've seen um, both movies about, but I've never really thought much about them, never watched them. And, you know, I think this film kind of shows me that maybe I need to take more of a chance on the ones that I don't really think about rather than just like glide by them to the more well-known ones. Blackwater Abyss would come 13 years actually after its original when it was released on uh, August 7th, 2020. Um, it got a digital release and skipped the cinema. But to be fair, 2020 was locked down. So even if they'd wanted it to be in the cinema, it probably wouldn't have happened anyway. Andrew Trecky would come back to direct solo this time, but it would have different writers with John Ridley and Sarah Smith coming on board. This film is a 15 and runs for about an hour and 38 minutes. And I couldn't find the budget for it, but it did make just over $658,000. I presume that's Australian dollars. This is an Australian film. And Andrew Trecky appears to, you know, he has a thing for these types of films. And because he's directed stuff like The Reef and The Reef Stalked, The story of this movie is about a group of friends who take a trip to the jungle in northern Australia. Jennifer is played by Jessica McNamee, and she is dating Eric, who is played by Luke Mitchell. We have Yolanda, who is their friend, played by Amelie Golding. And she is with Victor, who is played by Benjamin Hodges. And they have a mutual friend that goes along with them, and this is Cash, and he is played by an Anthony Sharp. And the only logical thing to do when you want to go away with all your mates is take a trip to the jungle and explore a cave. But before this trip happened, two other explorers had been out there and they had gone missing. And when the group was going there, a thunderstorm was on its way. So, of course, it made sense that they should all take the trip, knowing that others were missing, not knowing how they were missing. And once in the cave, they soon become prey for this pesky little crocodile who hunts them down. It then becomes a race against time to escape as the caves then start to flood due to the thunderstorm and they are either hoping not to drown or not be eaten. you got to make your choice. When watching this, you can't help but think of the influences from other films. Of course, you've got Lake Placid and then The Descent. But the beginning for me had that kind of wrong-term vibe about it as you see two people wandering about in the forest or the jungle in this case and then they disappear And one of them goes looking for the other one and falls. And she spots her partner who's obviously dead. And then she's dragged away. And then a bunch of friends go to the same spot. And, you know, chaos ensues. So it's kind of a bit of a mixture of, like, the three films for me. And it basically is a mixture of those films, but with also Jaws. It completely has that Jaws vibe of people frantically swimming to rocks to get away, wondering where their feet be taken in the last minute by some, like, big-ass predator. I'm not saying it is Jaws, but it kind of... You can see where they kind of got that from. It's a film that would haunt the fears of any human as there's a fear of A, being trapped in a cave. You know, we've got different levels, levels of abilities here with regards to the friends that have gone down. Jennifer and Victor, they're not quite the cave climbers as others. There's also this worry as what happened to the other two that went missing, and it's the outback in Australia. It's very remote, and... From what I've heard about Australia, I've never been there, they've got lots of creatures there that can do all sorts of damage. And of course, then when they're in the cave, there's also this fear of drowning as the caves fill up. But when it comes to the crocodiles, though, let's face it, they don't discriminate. We've all seen the documentaries as we've watched the crocodiles slowly creep up on their prey. Um, It's always by like a little water edge. And then they lunge uh, with this like massive jaw and they clamp down. And apparently they don't actually seek out humans as food. But if you do cross their path, they will more than likely, most definitely, attack you. They are said to simply crush their prey and swallow them whole. I know nothing about crocodiles, as you can probably tell. So, this was all from a bit of a Google search. The film itself, well, the first one, is loosely based on a true story of three people who went on a day trip to Australia's Northern Territory, where one of them was killed by a saltwater crocodile. And the other two, while being hunted, had to escape up a tree to survive. The film itself was filmed in only five weeks in South East Queensland. And with regards to the actual setting, I'll be honest with you, when they went down the cave first, at first glance, I did think it was a bit fake looking, but as they went deeper and deeper, it was, to me anyway, very much real. Um, It was a really beautiful sight. And when they first get in there and they come across this little cave lake, I don't know if the terms I'm using are the right terms when it comes to caves and cave diving and all this kind of stuff so I'm just saying what I think it is. It was like this really peaceful place and you know at a point it feels like this is just going to be a really nice adventure although I am confused with films like this and the descent. I mean obviously I know it's a film but when people go away why they would go to these types of places especially when you're climbing you need a lot of strength and I feel a passion for it and it needs to be the type of activity that you're into. Like, I would never do it. And with all the things you can do, why would you suggest this? But before they actually get off on their getaway, we kind of get a glimpse into what the couples are like, especially with Jennifer and Eric. It starts off with her sat in the toilet on a phone as he's looking for his phone. So we kind of know that she's checking his phone. We don't know why at this stage, but you can only assume that she thinks he's cheating and seeing were her was her gut instinct right. After this, the film starts kind of the way most films like this do. A group of people get together, happy mates, spending time. Everything's all great, goes to shit. They go to a bar, there's dancing and drinking. Yolanda actually tells Jennifer she's pregnant, but she hasn't told Victor yet. But as of now, before it goes to shit, it seems pretty normal. But once we get to the caves, this is where it all, you know, it takes a massive nosedive first of all obviously because it's within a cave we rely heavily on artificial light and the group uses torches and headlamps which is attached to their helmets while some of them have helmets and from the offset this sets you up for like this never-ending tension and wonder about what's going to happen we know there's a big crocodile we know they aren't exactly able to just like run away quickly get out and the whole lack of light the the element of that and there's like the water is like very murky you can't see through it and it gives you this real sense of suspense that you that you really need i do like how with this group we're not given the kill straight away we see moments where we feel it's going to happen but it doesn't and this element really adds Adds to it. It's kind of like it all bets off. Why did it happen then? And the perfect shot that would make you think that, and you kind of get ready and it doesn't come, which is what I like with horror, although I don't like jumping, is one where we see Eric and Cash. They're in the water and we get this back shot of Eric. And you really think that something's gonna happen. And you know, they discover that the water seeping in. As they're coming back, we think this guy's gonna get it, but it doesn't happen. After they arrive in the lake part, though, Jennifer, she's acting a bit strange. It's like she can sense something, like something's not quite right. And she doesn't look very comfortable. She keeps looking in the water like she's seeing something. And as Eric is busy with cash, you know, seeing what kind of damage this water is going to do, he believes they should go back. He's the voice of reason. But as usual, no one ever listens to the voice of reason. And he's quite experienced it will come across the way he goes on about, you know, in this type of environment. But he's trying to do the right thing. And especially as we know, not everyone is on his level when it comes to like the cave diving experience. We now see Jennifer, you know, was right to feel something was amiss. And she keeps exploring the water with her torch. And this is when you really feel something is going to happen. Someone is going to get attacked. But in rushes this big bout of water and as a result they all kind of get swept off their feet and they're kind of dragged along and there's a bag that cash has and it has the keys in it and this has got this gets lost and this bag has a lot to answer for i have to say that but again no one dies here you see the splashing around of people you hear the shouting the screaming and you're just like oh my god they've been attacked no all five are alive and they now get stranded on a rock and again, this is where the tension really ramps up. And this is where it continues all the way through. After this gush of water and no one's been killed, you it it really kind of stepped it up for me. They're in the water and all we can see is their heads due again to the lighting and the colour of the water. And we can't see anything else. And they do actually spot this bag. And it's Victor that sees it and he goes to get it. But he does it in a very slow way. And no one's really paying attention to what he's doing. And the way the shot is, it's like something's almost looking at him, which it probably is. And the next thing, he disappears. He's been attacked. And, you know, they think that he's dead because a body then floats up. And it becomes clear that, you know, this is somebody else. So obviously, they aren't the only ones to run into a spot of bother when down there. Eric does see Victor, though, and he does manage to get to him and... Where I felt this film obviously differs to The the Descent. And I I know that with The Descent, it is a a female-led film. You know, they've got great strength and capabilities. But what we see with this film is all that kind of strength and capability for a good part of it. It comes from the men, mainly Eric. He's like the muscle here. The women, they kind of just hope for the guys to sort everything out and save them. But like I said, this does change towards the end. But for the brunt of the movie, it's the men. Eric just wants to go for it, go into the water, take a risk. You know, he he wants to get out of here and he knows he has to try something. As after the attack from Victor, he's obviously injured and they're all stuck down there. And they obviously don't have um, a mobile phone reception. They have phones, but no reception. And, you know, the situation they are in, it's a really lose-lose. Like the chances of them getting out, especially with an injured man who's bleeding, I thought personally the blood would call the crocodiles, but according to like my best buddy, Google, um, apparently when they're underwater, they close their nostrils and when they go under, um, so this means olfaction underwater would be unlikely. I didn't know what that word meant, by the way. I only just seen it today. Um, This is a very educational episode, isn't it, about crocodiles? <laughs> so with the crocodile in the water, with the water raising, they don't really stand much of a chance. But of course... When both your options are you could possibly die, you might as well try and get out. And this is kind of one thing I will say about the director. He really knows how to build the tension even more. The tension once the severity of the situation really kicks in was kind of off the chart for me. I felt stressed watching it at times. I was turning away. I thought that something was going to happen when it didn't happen. And then when it didn't happen, it when I didn't think it was gonna happen, it did happen. You just, I was very confused. I wasn't sure what was going on. And I I did enjoy that. And another element that adds to the attention, of course, is the claustrophobia. This becomes more visible when Eric and Cash, they do try and find a way out. And this whole ordeal, as they keep coming to dead end after dead end after dead end, it was so scary. Because they're not just potentially gonna get trapped. There's a bloody crocodile. And the water's rising, so then they're they're going to start losing places to actually breathe when they're, like, swimming in and out of these holes, hoping that one of them is actually a way out. And this freaked me out really badly, because I find that really claustrophobic, like I did with the descent when, I think it was Sarah that got trapped. Um, but, you know, you forget about the crocodile. It's just, it's so confined. It is so confined. We see that they kind of get separated, and we, we can see that Cash is sensing he's not alone, and he does something that, you know, heightens attention even more for me um, after he becomes separated. He's, tra- he's trapped, like he, he, the only way is kind of forward after he's gone back. And he has his torch and of course he's shining to see where it is. But then, obviously as I've said, the water is murky. He decides to go under it because they have goggles so they can see. Not once, not twice but three bloody times to see what he can see. And then, of course, he sees it. He sees the teeth, the big-ass, sharp crocodile teeth, slowly coming kind of towards him, a little way in the distance. There's no sense of urgency here. Now, when we see the teeth, the crocodile's actually, he's kind of quite still. And there may be a chance here, because of what we've seen before with people not being killed when you think they're going to be killed that might be one of those situations where it doesn't happen he gets away but no that does not happen cash himself has said that when in the water stay perfectly still because crocodiles are apparently attracted to the vibrations and to be fair He does keep super still, as still as he possibly can. And we also see at the same time, there's a scene with Yolanda and she's in the water and they're telling her to stay still. And the crocodile, he just does a drive-by. He does a drive-by of her and he doesn't take a bite. But unfortunately for Cash, this isn't the case. He does get attacked. And I'll be honest with you, it is pretty brutal. And I have to say with this scene, the director does know how to keep you on your toes. This scene takes its time. It really takes his time as Cash checks under the water those three times, as you're constantly left wondering. It's a slow burner. And every time he went under, I thought the crocodile would be like closer and closer to the point that on the third time, I thought it would basically be a face-to-face thing. And for a split second, I thought he was just going to like chomp his head off. But that wasn't the case. Cash had to suffer. The head didn't get swooped off. He had to suffer. But the characters themselves, they do come with their own sense of issues. Like Cash isn't really involved in that because the other two are couples. As I mentioned, Yolanda is pregnant, but her partner Victor, he is in remission from cancer and he's had a shit ton of chemo, which apparently is meant to uh, lower your chances to having a baby. It's meant to make it near impossible. And bless him, he's sat there and he's he's dying. He doesn't look good. He doesn't look good. And she decides to tell him. And... His face kind of says it all like, like, it's like, how can you be? If if it's with me, how can you be? He, and he doesn't really respond, to be honest. And this is when we kind of see Jen, why Jennifer was worried, her worries about Eric. He was up to no good. And unfortunately, she figures out that Eric is the father of Yolanda's baby. She sees this picture of the two of them in the camera and when she confronts them, they they kind of don't deny it. They're a bit silent for a while. And then they admit it. It was a mistake. It wasn't an affair. Just one of those things. But before Jen actually confronts Yolanda and Eric, they're trying to find a way out. They found a gap that Jennifer actually found and they're just going to have a look. And she tells him, she tells him about this. And it's quite brutal his reaction, to be honest with you. He kind of just turns away. He just it 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 just says one or two things but doesn't give her anything really you know but to be fair granted Jennifer has only seen a picture but when we have like these gut feelings we tend to be right people try and make you feel you're being paranoid to fo- to avoid guilt avoid being the bad guy you know when Victor um said that his chance of having kids were you know very bad you mash that together with the picture and you know knowing that your fella's up to something it's you know you can kind of be forgiven for that assumption And like I said, sometimes you just know. So if you get caught out, just fess up. Makes it worse when you try and deny it. Anyway, this revelation, of course, makes things a little awkward. Because um, Victor, bless him, who I did like, is then killed. And then it's just the three of them. Victor and Jen would have been a more suited couple. They're kind of more alike and they're more together in this film. They even say themselves that they, you know, they should have swapped because of who they were suited with. And plus then Victor dies actually saving Jen. Like she goes to get the bag, that bloody bag. And she bangs her head and he then goes to help her because of where her feet are. The crocodile could obviously get her. And I think the death of Victor is probably one of the worst for me with regards to what you see and hear. Like with Cash, it was a lot of splashing around and shouting. You didn't, I didn't feel you seen as much because a lot of it happened underwater. But with... Victor, you see him, you see him come out of the water and you hear it and you hear the crunch and you see the bite and you see the jaw come down and the splashing and the pain. It was awful. I I felt that one. So now all three are together. The awkward moment is still going on. We have Jen, Yolanda, and Eric um being the ones left, and you know, the seedy truth about what's going on has all come out. But to be honest with you the main motive here should be survival. And Jen then kind of steps up. And this is where we start to see a different side to the women with regards to Jen. She takes up, she takes the lead. We're getting out of here. And as they're getting out of there, because they spot somewhere that they could potentially get out, of course, Crocodile comes along and Eric, in a sense, He sacrifices himself because he starts splashing around in the water. And of course the crocodile goes to him. The the girls do get out really quite quickly, actually, to daylight. And, you know, while the men obviously took the lead during the whole thing, as we see, as I said, this does change. And it really shows the strength of the girls when they're the only ones left to get out. Jen especially. She really shines through and she gives us that finer girl vibe moment. Um... Yolanda is not a final girl, not at all. She's alive because of Jen. Jen also really shows a sign of strength from like a mental aspect. Not only has she seen her two friends and her boyfriend die, but she's now in a situation where she's with a woman who is pregnant by her cheating, now dead boyfriend. But she doesn't let that get in her way, which to be honest is, it's, it's not always the case. People find themselves in these sticky situations and can act in a manner that's quite bizarre And, you know, let's be honest, your man and your best mate might have been cheating bastards. But, you know, is that enough of a reason to hope that they get eaten brutally by a gigantic crocodile? No, it's not. It would have been a slight overreaction if you actually wanted that. So, you know, maybe when they get home, they won't be mates anymore. And while they do get out, they have the car keys. They find the car. They're free. Off they drive. Or so you think. So you think. There's something in the middle of the road and it shoots them right back into the water. And of course, the crocodile knows that they're up there and out he comes to get dessert. Jen helps Yolanda out a lot here. She's like panic central. And, you know, this ability in Jen that was probably there all along, but she never really got a chance to shine because the men were kind of doing their thing. You know, they're getting attacked while they're in the car and they get out of the car. And of course, the crocodile's coming for them. And there is a gun that was that you know was mentioned at the very beginning and they have the gun yolanda's the one who's about to be attacked and eaten but jen starts shooting but then this crocodile just whips out and takes her but do you know what she does which i kind of knew she was going to do she shoots the crocodile while she's being attacked and uh she kills it and she gets out and the two girls hug. The crocodile does that slowly floating away thing under the water with some blood streaming through, and off the two go to land. I must admit, I did think for a bit that while watching this, that Eric was going to reappear, and this was mainly due to the knife talk. I felt it kind of had to serve a purpose, but by the end, you realize it was just a set for like, what are you, Crocodile Dundee line, he he mentions about how if the crocodile comes near him, he has a knife. I mean, this knife wasn't that big, but I kind of felt like it might have done something. And um, I know people always feel the need when a knife comes into conversation to mention Crocodile Dundee. But to be fair, though, the attack for him was, you know, it was a done deal. When we see him with kind of both arms out, the crocodile's chomping down, there's pretty much zero chance of uh, survival. But overall... I did enjoy this film. I took it for what it was. I knew it wasn't going to be, you know, like another Jaws. But, you know, certain films are such classics, though, so I almost find it pointless, pointless to try and compare. This film is one, you know, you have to be in the mood for. Something, though, to put on and wash over. It was that, but to be honest, it was a bit more for me. I liked that it felt like a horror. I was scared to look at the screen. I felt stressed. I felt jumpy and it kept me watching, I didn't get bored, and even when it took that awkward detour into the personal, you shag my boyfriend, you know, that bit didn't bother me, it kind of added to it, you know, it kind of added to how I felt about Jennifer, because at the beginning, she wasn't really my focus, but by the end, you're like really rooting for her, and she really steps up, and you want her to survive, and strangely enough, she also made you care about Yolanda, Yolanda did an awful thing, And while she was meant to be like this adventurous one with Eric, she really didn't show any signs of it. She needed to be looked after and saved. And Jennifer did that for her. She was quite childlike, if I'm honest. And when the shit hit the fan, she needed to not only be looked after, but she needed the comfort that a child would want. After Jen escaped the crocodile, Yolanda, you know, went to her. But I felt like she needed the hug more than um, Jen did. But I suppose as well, this could also be some form of forgiveness for her. You know, we don't like to think that we fucked up, especially with your best mate and, you know, that we're the bad guys. So this embrace, I think it kind of gets Yolanda off the the cheater hook, so to speak. You know, it might all change when they get back. But for what we saw, it was quite a moment. So I'm going to keep that nice ending in my head. So if you're looking for a movie that gives you scares and tensions and more of the way than one, then I, I definitely give it a go. But just don't overthink it. Just don't expect too much and just enjoy it. Like I know I did. But, you know, now I've escaped the clutches of that pesky crocodile, I'm going to take you on to my podcast recommendation. And that is a uh, podcast called The Paul and Griff Show. These guys I've known for a little bit now and I've listened to their podcast and it's a great one and they talk film and they've covered quite a bit. So I'd highly recommend it. But, you know, I'm going to let you them tell you for themselves because they're doing a much better job than me. A new and improved movie podcast. With a secret ingredient. Paul and Griff. Now, let's go over to our test audience. Love that Joker. Joker. Uh Uh-oh. They don't look happy. They've been listening to Brand X. But with the Paul and Griff show, you'll have a grin again and again and again. (laughs) Amazing trivia. Quizzes. And the very best insights into your favourite films. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Where can I listen to this five movie podcast? Well, that's the gag. Chances are, you already have the application. Love that joke. So search for The Paul and Griff Show wherever you get your movie podcasts. And remember to put on a happy face. <laughs> Make sure, of course, you go and listen to The Paul and Griff Show. Rate and review and all that jazz. And I'd like to say thank you for listening to my episode. And please don't forget to rate and review me on iTunes and also Podchaser. I really do appreciate any feedback, um, especially nice ones. Um, but if you'd like even more of me, you can find me on Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare Podcast, on Twitter and Letterbox as a Nightmare Pod. Email me on Once Upon a pod at gmail.com. Get me on Facebook at Once Upon a Nightmare. And I will chat to you again very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.